Beloved, our call to worship this morning is from Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me, hear and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Continue reading in the Old Testament from the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, Cry, and he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall, fle- he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young, who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with a span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance, who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, For being his counselor hath taught him. With whom took he counsel? And who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. To whom then will ye liken God? Or what likeness will ye compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman, 
to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. May God bless his strength-giving word to our hearts this morning. Beloved, our text for this morning is from Isaiah 40, verses 9 through 11. Isaiah 40, 9 through 11. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. Well, several weeks ago, months ago now, I shared a quote with you about good news and bad news. Bad news travels fast and far. Good news often trudges along slowly and in secret. You remember that. Bad news travels fast and far. Good news often trudges along slowly and in secret. Now, that's true, isn't it, in a world that is focused on bad news. Read the headlines, and it's almost entirely bad news this past week. A world that's focused on fake news, on trying to strengthen our own position and discredit another person's position. 
A world that is focused on negativity. Bad news always travels fast. Bad news seems to have the upper hand in terms of its, its loudness, its prominence in our culture. Perhaps even in the church. What's at the heart of this? It's news that cuts God out of the picture, isn't it? If we do not have God and His revelation through which we filter the events of this world, it will always be negative. But this quote is inaccurate when it comes to the good news of the gospel. The coming of Jesus in the flesh is a message that needs to travel fast and far and loudly. It's a message that needs to be spread with urgency because of its life-giving power, particularly in a culture of death and negativity. Well, that's what we see in our text this morning. The good news of the gospel is a message that fills the need of the hour. For us this morning, but also for those who initially heard this message, those Jews, those Jews who were carried into exile because of their sin. The exile was the judgment of God, the punishment of God for their sins. And what was the message that they heard through the pen of Isaiah? Well, we read that. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. A message of, of comfort, a message of salvation, a message of forgiveness. A message of restoration that God was coming to make the way plain. He was going to send His messenger, the final prophet, John the Baptist, before the coming of Christ. To make plain the way for Christ, to announce the coming of Christ. John the Baptist was a herald, an ambassador. In the old times, the ambassador of the king would go into the kingdom, into the villages, into the cities, and announce the coming of the king. The trumpet would sound. The good news was announced. The king was coming. People would be excited. There would be excitement in every village and town where the king would come, where he would set foot. It's a message for us this morning. As the Lord draws us out of the exile of sin, as He proclaims forgiveness to us, as He proclaims comfort, as He proclaims His coming to us again through His Word and in the sacrament, as He comes down, as it were, to feed us and to nourish us. And so it's a message that we need this morning, the message of God coming as the shepherd king of His people, a promise of the Messiah, a promise that is realized in the birth and the death and the resurrection of Christ, a promise that we are called to look back on this, e this morning in the Lord's Supper. And so our theme this morning is this, the coming shepherd king. First of all, we see the good news of His coming. Secondly, the governing power of His coming. And thirdly, at the Lord's table the gentle care at His coming. So the good news of His coming. Verse 9 of our text makes an announcement of good news. It's been good news all the way to this point from verse 1, isn't it? A message of comfort, a message of forgiveness. 
a message that all flesh is as grass, but the Word of God endures forever. There's four aspects of this good news this morning of which we need to take note. The first is that this good news deserves a place of prominence from which to be heralded forth. The good news is not meant to be hidden in a dark corner. It's not meant for caves and caverns. It's not meant for the deep valleys. No, God says this morning this message needs to be proclaimed from the, from the highest point available. Get thee up into the high mountain, O Zion, that bringest good tidings. If we look at it from the original Hebrew, we get the full impact of what God is saying here, of what this message really deserves. It's an order to Zion, to the church On a high mountain, get up, herald of good news, Zion. Go to a place where you can prominently publish this good news that that God is coming. That there is forgiveness for sinners. That there is comfort for Zion, for those who turn to God. Why a prominent place? So that all can hear. So that all can hear. So there is no mistaking what God is saying this morning. The good news of the coming shepherd king is to be announced from the highest place possible. Get up into a mountain, God was telling Zion. Go and proclaim the good news of restoration, of salvation in Christ Jesus. What happens when you stand on a mountain in a mountain range, and you shout, there's an echo, isn't there? Your voice echoes from mountain to mountain, and it reverberates far and wide. That's the imagery here, the message of the good news receives a prominent place. It builds anticipation to those who hear it. It was good news for the exiles. God was coming. He was coming to restore them. In fact, he was coming to lead them himself. All the exiles had to hear this glad news. It's consistent with the character of the good news for it to be published from a prominent place so that all can hear. That's the message that God has for us this morning. The message is not hidden from us this morning. The Savior is not hidden from us this morning. He comes in His Word and He says, Here I am again. He comes in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper again and He says, Here I am again to feed and to nourish, to reassure and to assure of forgiveness of sins, to assure needy sinners that I am your life, that I am the one who has died in your place. This good news demands a place of prominence, but it also demands publication. It shouldn't be spoken in a whisper. Listen to the words of Isaiah in verse 9. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with with strength. This statement is parallel to to what comes before, but it expands what what has come before. Go to a place of prominence, but publish it with a loud voice. Don't stand on that place of prominence and just whisper, no. The herald is to be in a prominent place and shout the good news. To lift up his voice with strength. 
Lift up with strength your voice, herald of good news, Jerusalem. Children, perhaps you've played the telephone game before. You whisper something in someone's ear and you go down the line and hope that when it comes to the end of the line, you get the message right. That's not what's to happen with the good news. The good news is to be proclaimed loudly, with strength, not in a whisper from one person to another and hope that it comes out right at the end. It's to be published with a powerful and certain sound that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners, to save exiles, to redeem from captivity, to bring them back to the place of glory and of worship of the true God. We are to hold nothing back. To lift up with strength. And so the message comes this morning. Good news for needy sinners, for lost sinners. There is a Savior. There is a Savior who saves and who redeems and who forgives and who comforts. Thirdly, it's good news that calls for boldness. Often there's an accompanying fear that fills the messengers of this good news. How will it be received? Will the message be scorned? Will it be mixed with faith? Will there be fruit on what I say? What will people think? But that's not our concern, God says, when it comes to the publication of this good news. The prophet tells Zion, the prophet tells us by extension this morning, lift it up, lift up your voice, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, declare unto them. The message that calls for great boldness, a message that leaves no place for the fear of man, because it's a message of good news from heaven. Fear not. There ought to be no fear in the publication of this message. There ought to be no fear in the reception of this message this morning. So often the message comes to us, doesn't it? And we respond with fear. Does God really mean what He says? Is His word of promise sure? Is it going to hold up if I, if I lean everything that I am on that promise? Will God be faithful? Well, here's proof that he is faithful. He's not hiding the message this morning. He's not hiding the good news. He's saying that it needs to be proclaimed with loudly and with, with boldness. Fear not. Message of good news. Zion had received bad news of, of destruction, of exile, of judgment for her sins. But now God says, here is good news. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. The warfare of Zion is accomplished. Her iniquity is pardoned. Atonement has been made, looking ahead to the Christ that is coming. She has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Not double the judgment, but double indicates that the payment is complete and fully paid. That's the good news good news 
builds on good news, doesn't it? It's not just the good news of forgiveness. It's just not just the, the good news of, of payment being made in full. It's not just the good news that the revelation of God will endure forever. But it's the good news that God is coming. God Himself is coming. The good news that announces God coming for His people. That's what Isaiah says, the end of verse 9. This is the good news. Behold your God. God had sent Israel into exile. Israel had labored under a sense of God's abandonment and desertion. We read that in verse 27. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. No, the good news of the gospel is, behold, your God, He has come. He's coming in the flesh. That was the promise here. John the Baptist was to make the way plain for God to come. The happy news is, behold your God. He himself is coming to be with his people, to redeem them from exile, to assure his people that he is for them, that he is with them, that he himself will go before them, just like he did when he brought Israel out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. We just read those words this morning. God was coming. Is coming for his people. This is the gospel, isn't it? Behold your God. He's coming for exiles. Just as he came for the exiles of Judah, he comes for spiritual exiles this morning. In the gospel this morning, we are called to behold our God. To behold Him in His beauty, in His glory, in His redeeming power, in His ruling power, in His his strength, in His love, His grace, His tenderness, His gentleness towards His people, His care for His people. We'll see all those things in a moment. As we break bread and pour the wine, the gospel proclaims to us, behold your God. It's covenant language, isn't it? I will be your God and you shall be my people. There's no more fitting proclamation this morning for the Lord's Supper service and the message of the gospel than this. Behold your God, believer. This is the good news. God has come in the flesh. God comes in his word. God comes very low in the sacrament this morning and we say, behold your God. But how does he come? He comes with governing power as we see in our second thought. He's coming with great strength. That's what the prophet emphasizes about the coming of God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand. The Lord, Yahweh Himself, Jehovah, is stirred at the plight of the exiles in Babylon. He will forgive them and He will restore them. He will do this by His great strength. What what the exiles were 
impotent to do on their own, God will come and do for them. Nothing could stand in the way of His coming. Not the exile, not the sins of Judah, not the sins of His people, not the world power of Babylon. With all its power, glory, and wealth, it could not withstand the power of the Lord God. Nothing could match the strength of Yahweh. And we look for help. We look for someone who's strong, don't we? Well, this morning the message is this. Behold your strong God who comes to us in Jesus Christ in the good news. Maybe you're here this morning. The circumstances of life have caught up with you. You looked ahead to the Lord's Supper with fear and trepidation. Even despondency. You say, I'm lost after all. My friend, behold your strong God. Whatever obstacle that you might see from your end, God is able to overcome that obstacle this morning. He comes with a strong hand. That's the happy news this morning. He comes with strength. Maybe we're filled with fear at the the powers that be in this world as they come against believers, as they come against the church. But those powers are no match for the strength of God. Maybe you come filled with doubts. Your doubts are no match for Him. Your fears are no match for Him. Your sin is no match for Him. He is the great King of His people. He overcomes His and your enemies in the glorious display of strength at the cross. The world looks at the cross and they say, that's weakness. Why would you believe in someone who died a shameful death and a cursed death on the cross? But to those who believe it is the power of God unto salvation. The strength that comes from the Christ who hung on the cross. That's what we're called to look this morning, to Calvary. Yes, to the manger, but also to the cross. Because the manger was in the shadow of the cross, wasn't it? Look and behold your God this morning, believer. At Calvary, come in the flesh to fulfill the purpose of redemption, to die the death that you and I deserve, to be raised again to newness of life so that we might enjoy that life more abundantly in Him this morning. Your God, believer, flexes His great strength at Calvary. And He says, there's no obstacle that I can't overcome. As we come to the supper this morning, we're reminded that we don't come in our own strength. We come as a result of the great strength of the Lord God Himself. It's amazing, isn't it? The strength of the Lord God doesn't repel us. But the strength of the Lord God draws us. The strength of the Lord God impels us to come. To honor Him, to glorify His Son, doing this in remembrance of Him. There's more. 
He comes with power to rule. He comes with power to rule. Isaiah prophesies this, His arm shall rule for Him. His arm of strength not only overcomes His enemies, but His arm will also rule His people. There are times where it seems that leaders are inept at leading the people. Or that the people themselves are simply ungovernable. But not so with the Lord God. He rules with strength. The word arm here can also be translated strength. His strength speaks of reliability, of constancy, of faithfulness, of power, of longevity. Of ruling with intelligence and purpose. Nothing remains outside of His rule as a result of His great strength. Behold your God. Behold the King of the universe. This is the one who made the worlds by the word of His power out of nothing. This is the one who sustains all things in the world. This is the one who directs history or His story for the good of His people. This is the one who is extending the borders of His kingdom, overcoming rebellious sinners and making them His willing subjects, ruling over them by His word, directing us by His law, bidding us to come to the royal feast this morning. Is His rule not of great comfort for you, believer, this morning? He rules all things. He's the king of your life, isn't He? His strength rules over you and for you on your behalf. When He commands to remember His death and His resurrection, is He not worthy of your love and of your dedication and of your commitment? He rules with strength, protecting you moment by moment. You look back to the last communion. And you see how He's protected you, how He's provided for you, how He's ruled over you. Will you not come to the feast of the King this morning and be strengthened in His strength as He communes with His own? What a King we serve. What a glorious King. Again, His strength does not drive away, but draws near. Let's remember that this morning. And as we leave the table, His strength rules over us. His strength hems us in and keeps us from falling, preserves us into the end. But His governing power also includes not just strength, but justice. Isaiah prophesies again in verse 10, Behold, His reward is with Him and His work before Him. Two words describe His justice here, reward and work. Reward and recompense. It speaks to the justice of God and how He will judge and repay every man according to His work. There is perfect justice in the kingdom of God. That's a comfort. A comfort in a world of injustice. God will judge His enemies. The unrighteous will receive the recompense of their sins in eternal condemnation. That's a, a reality. 
that some of you need to contend with this morning as you sit in opposition to God. But He also will reward the just. Enter into the joy of thy Lord, thou good and faithful servant. You see, His justice is perfect. It's strong. It's inflexible. It's always fair. It never errs. There is no mistake. Children, sometimes you feel sad because your parents take the side of one or other sibling in in a conflict. Maybe they didn't hear your side of the story. You feel it's unjust. Your parents are imperfect. But God is not. God is always fair. God is always just. Where do we see His justice? We're not, we don't just long for His justice at the end of the, the last judgment. But for us personally as believers, we see His justice in the cross. There His justice shines in its perfection. He maintains His justice by sending His Son to suffer the judgment that sinners deserve. Paul summarizes it in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin was made to be sin, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Christ came to fulfill the perfect justice of God, so that we might be declared just and righteous before God. In Jesus, this morning, there is hope and justice to be found before God. That's what, the, that's what the gospel proclaims. That's what the good news is. That's what the supper reminds us of this morning. Perfect justice in the Lamb of God. The penalty paid. The guilty exonerated of all their crimes. The exiles brought to restoration. This is comfort for the people of God. Immeasurable comfort this morning. We no longer labor under the curse. We no longer labor under the wrath of God. But we now come into the favor of God. No longer servants, but sons. Tremendous comfort this morning for believers. But also a a tremendous terror for those who do not find shelter in the Lamb this morning. A word of warning for you. The fair and inflexible justice of God. The wrath of God. If there's no repentance. That's also what the gospel proclaims. That's also what the the Lord's Supper signifies. But as long as you are outside of Christ... You're laboring under the curse. You are laboring under the wrath of God. But there's good news for you this morning, isn't there? But if you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, there is no more wrath. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. He's come once to display His perfect justice in the cross. He's coming again to display that justice once for all in the final judgment.
We're reminded of that in the words of Revelation 22, verse 12. And behold, and behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. You see the unity of Scripture? Isaiah says, Behold your God in his justice as he comes. Yes, in the manger, but also at the cross. And the Apostle John, with prophetic foresight, sees what's coming. Our God coming again in perfect justice, robed in justice and in might. Behold your God. Behold your God. He comes to govern with power and justice. But he also comes, doesn't he, to care for his sheep, to care for the exiles who are broken and bruised. And that's what we'll see this morning at the table. Turn now to the form for the administration of the Lord's Supper, page 137. We'll begin at the top of the second column, page 137 in the back of the Psalter, top of the second column. Let us now also consider to what end the Lord hath instituted his supper, namely that we do it in remembrance of him. Now after this manner are we to remember him by it. First, that we are confidently persuaded in our hearts that our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the promises made to our forefathers in the Old Testament, was sent of the Father into the world, that he assumed our flesh and blood, that he bore for us the wrath of God, under which we should have perished everlastingly from the beginning of his incarnation to the end of his life upon earth, and that he hath fulfilled for us all obedience to the divine law and righteousness, especially when the weight of our sins and the wrath of God pressed out of him the bloody sweat in the garden where he was bound, that we might be freed from our sins. But he afterwards suffered innumerable reproaches that we might never be confounded. That he was innocently condemned to death, that we might be acquitted at the judgment seat of God. Yea, that he suffered his blessed body to be nailed on the cross, that he might fix thereon the handwriting of our sins. And hath also taken upon himself the curse due to us, that he might fill us with his blessings." and hath humbled himself unto the deepest reproach and pains of hell, both in body and soul, on the tree of the cross, when he cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That we might be accepted of God and never be forsaken of him. And finally confirmed with his death and shedding of his blood the new and eternal testament, that covenant of grace and reconciliation, when he said, It is finished. Secondly, that we might firmly believe that we belong to this covenant of grace, the Lord Jesus Christ in his last supper took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In like manner also after supper he took the cup, gave thanks, and said, Drink ye all of it. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you and for many 
for the remission of sins. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. That is, as often as ye eat of this bread and drink of this cup, ye shall thereby, as by a sure remembrance and pledge, be admonished and assured of this my hearty love and faithfulness towards you. That whereas you should otherwise have suffered eternal death, I have given my body to the death of the cross and shed my blood for you, and I certainly feed and nourish your hungry and thirsty souls with my crucified body and shed blood to everlasting life. <clears throat> As this bread is broken before your eyes and this cup is given to you, and you eat and drink the same with your mouth in remembrance of me. From this institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see that he directs our faith and trust to his perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross as to the only ground and foundation of our salvation, wherein he has become to our hungry and thirsty souls the true meat and drink of life eternal. For by his death, he hath taken away the cause of our eternal death and misery, namely sin, and obtained for us the quickening spirit, that we, by the same, who dwelleth in Christ as in the head and in us as his members, might have true communion with him, and be made partakers of all his blessings of life eternal, righteousness, and glory. Besides, that we, by this same Spirit, may also be united as members of one body in true brotherly love, as the holy apostle saith, for we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. For as out of many grains one meal is ground and one bread baked, and out of many berries being pressed together one wine floweth, and mixeth itself together, so shall we all, who by a true faith are engrafted into Christ, be altogether one body, through brotherly love, for Christ's sake, our beloved Savior, who hath so exceedingly loved us, and not only show this in word, but also in very deed, towards one another. Here to assist us, the Almighty God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit. Amen. That when we obtain all this, let us humble ourselves before God and with true faith implore his grace. O most merciful God and Father, we beseech thee that thou wilt be pleased in this supper in which we celebrate the glorious remembrance of the bitter death of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That we may daily more and more with true confidence give ourselves up unto thy Son, Jesus Christ that our afflicted and contrite hearts through the power of the Holy Ghost may be fed and comforted with his true body and blood, yea, with him, true God and man, that only heavenly bread, that we may no longer live in our sins, but he in us and we in him, and thus truly be made partakers of the new and everlasting covenant of grace, that we may not doubt, but thou wilt forever be our gracious Father, nevermore imputing our sins unto us, providing us with all things necessary as well for the body as the soul, as thy beloved children and heirs. Grant us also thy grace that we may take up our cross cheerfully, deny ourselves, confess our Savior, and in all tribulations with uplifted heads expect our Lord Jesus Christ from heaven where he will make our mortal bodies like unto his most glorious body and take us unto him in eternity. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Strengthen us also by this holy supper in the Catholic undoubted Christian faith, whereof we make confession with our mouths and hearts, saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That we may be now fed with the true heavenly bread, Christ Jesus, let us not cleave with our hearts unto the external bread and wine, but lift them up on high in heaven where Christ Jesus is our advocate at the right hand of his heavenly Father, whither all the articles of our faith lead us, not doubting, but we shall as certainly be fed and refreshed in our souls through the working of the Holy Ghost with his body and blood as we receive the holy bread and wine in remembrance of him. The good news is this. Behold your God. He comes with strength and with justice as a king. But he also comes as a shepherd to provide a place of quiet rest and strengthening for his people through the preaching of the gospel, but also in the Lord's Supper. And so he bids us come this morning to come and behold him, to commune with him at this royal feast. All things are ready. We give opportunity to those who are elderly and need some extra time to come, to come first to the table. There's still several places available on my right and about three on the left here. Let's pray. Gracious King and Shepherd, We behold thee in thy glory. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, strong and mighty. He is the King of glory. He is the one whom we worship even now. Rule over us, O God. But also refresh us now as our shepherd that we would know thy tender mercy, that our souls would be strengthened and refreshed for the journey that lies ahead. So it was called us from exile to the place of glory. That this morning here would be a taste and a foretaste of the glory which is to come. That with one eye on earth and one eye on heaven, we would behold our God in Christ Jesus. Feed us, refresh us, strengthen us, for Jesus' sake. Amen.
The bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. The bread which signifies the broken body of Christ. The King, King of glory, hung in shame on the cross, hung above the head of Jesus, was a placard that was meant to shame him, but proclaimed prominently who Jesus was. Pilate asked, what is truth? The placard proclaimed that truth. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. That same king declares, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd king of his people. And he bids us this morning to take and eat and do this in remembrance of him. The cup of blessing which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ. The wine which signifies, points us to the shed blood of our shepherd king. Jesus is both the shepherd and the lamb. Jesus said, take, drink, and do this in remembrance of me. As Jesus comes as the shepherd king, we read in verse 11, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. Children, you know that the word like introduces a simile, a comparison. It's a beautiful picture. God, who came in the flesh, is like a shepherd. This theme runs throughout the scriptures. And how does he feed his sheep? Well, he knows what they need, the shepherd does, in order to sustain them. Often, in the context of the wilderness, the sheep would wander in the dirt, the rocks of the wilderness. The shepherd would lead them to a place of food for them. He would mix the right amount of food the proper amount of nutrients to feed the sheep. When food was done in one place, he would move them to another. He ensures there would be fresh water available for the sheep to drink to their satisfaction. And if God is like a shepherd, that's what he does for his people. The spiritual analogy holds true. The Lord knows exactly what we need. As the shepherd of our souls this morning, he knows the journey can be hard for exiles returning to the place of his presence and of his glory. He feeds with purpose this morning so that our souls are fed with himself. He doesn't feed us yesterday's bread, but he gives us fresh food every single day of the journey. He takes the weary, encourages us with his faithful provision, takes the weak, and strengthens them with his faithful provision, takes the wounded, and he heals them with his faithful provision. He takes the stubborn and hems hems in their way and brings them back to 
the faithful provision in himself. He takes the struggling sheep and points them in the right direction, bringing them back to his faithful provision. As we sit here, we're reminded that he feeds us like a shepherd. A shepherd is always looking out for the interests of his sheep at great expense to himself. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. We're reminded of that this morning. His faithful provision in himself reminds us that he's laid down his life for us. And he took it up for us. This morning, he feeds us like a shepherd. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. If you've heard his voice, and you hear it now, follow him to the place of green pasture, the place of provision. The bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. The bread which signifies the broken body of the shepherd, the life that he laid down for the sake of his sheep. And he says, take, eat, and do this in remembrance of me. The cup of blessing which we bless and for which we give thanks is the communion of the blood of Christ. The shepherd gave it all in order to feed us, nourish us, assure us of his love and care for us. He bids us to take and drink and do this in remembrance of him. We see the Lord's faithful provision as our shepherd. But his might comes into play. He's not a feeble shepherd. He surrounds us with his strong protection. Our text says he shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. The Lord does not leave us to ourselves. The shepherd would gather the defenseless lambs and carry them. Brings them to a place of safety. Away from marauding animals. Carries them in his arms with strength. Those, aren't, those lambs would be carried over the rough terrain. Protecting them from the elements. Protecting them from the wolves and the bears and the lions. He carries them in his bosom near the heart, showing the value that he had for these little lambs, the future of the flock. What a beautiful spiritual picture that is for us this morning. That's how the Lord God comes to us to care for us. He protects us by his own strength, carries the weak and the needy in his arms. His strength is often directed to break the sheep, to follow him, But here that strength is 
is used to protect his sheep, to, to lift them up, to protect them. How we need that protection. Right here is, a, is an oasis. But the moment we step away from the table, the moment we step away from church, from communion, the moment we contend with ourselves, we need protection. But here's the shepherd, always ready, always carrying in his strong arms, ready to protect us again. He protects the weak and defenseless sheep, bringing them to a place of refuge in himself, protecting us from ourselves, protecting us from the wickedness that surrounds us. He protects the vulnerable by strengthening us at the feast this morning. Protects those who are about to wander, reminding them of the great cost of the shepherd's life. When the temptation comes, remember, the shepherd laid down his life. He's willing to protect you from whatever sin you're about to engage in. He protects the stubborn sheep from themselves. Perhaps you go from the table and you immediately wonder whether you should have been here. You stubbornly resist his provision for you. you. Go back to your own righteousness. No, don't do that. The shepherd protects from ourselves. He brings us back to the place of his provision this morning. He says, stay here. Stay close to me and you'll be safe. He holds his lambs near his heart. Shows us the infinite value that each sheep has for him. Holds us near the place of his love. And he declares to us this morning, even as I carry you, I declare to you that I love you with an everlasting love. A love that will not let you go. A love that will protect you. A love that will bring you all the way the place of my glory and of my presence in eternity. And so he says, stay here, stay close to me. I will shelter you. I will keep you close. I will declare my love to you. That's what he does now. That's what he's willing to continue beyond this table of refreshment. The Lord says, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. It's past tense. The Lord's Supper is a declaration of his love from eternity. But it's also a declaration of his present love. I love you with an everlasting love. But it's also a declaration of his future love. I will love you. It's an everlasting love. It will not fail. And so we bid you come as weak and needy sheep to be fed and bask in his love. The shepherd calls his sheep. He calls them by name. And he says, come and eat of me. If you can do without his provision this morning, that's making quite a statement. If you can't live without his provision, he bids you come to be protected, to be nourished, to be fed, to be refreshed. there are no others who declare their need of this shepherd, we'll close this table and not open another. Lord, we thank thee for this 
spiritual oasis this morning. But thou art a God who cares for thy sheep in all their various conditions. Let us know what we need when we need it. Let us feed us with food convenient for our souls. Let us declare to us thy love, undeserved love, to be sure, but everlasting love all the same. We thank thee for it. We thank thee that this morning we can have tokens of thy love, that we could hear thy voice in the preaching of the gospel, that we can sense thy care, and that thou dost bring us up into heavenly places to commune with thee, looking ahead to when, when thou wilt thyself feed us and wipe away every tear. We long for that day. We behold thee now. We adore thee now. We say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. The bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. The shepherd says, I am the bread of life. He that eateth of me shall never hunger. That never hunger part doesn't seem quite true yet because of the presence of sin. And yet in principle it's true. When our soul trusts in Christ, we are full, spoiled for the world, not wanting to go back to sin, engaging in that furious battle with the old man, but it's still true. We'll never hunger. And it keeps us looking forward. It keeps us pressing ahead to the day when the battle will be over. We'll be with the shepherd forever. And he bids us take, eat, and do this in remembrance of me. The cup of blessing which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ. And he says, take, drink, and do this in remembrance of me. So we've seen his faithful provision, his protecting strength, and now we see in the last place his gentle refreshment. Verse 11 concludes, he shall gently Lead those that are with young. Gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is power under control. Power that is focused on a specific object. That's what the shepherd does for his sheep. The shepherd in Bible times would never rush his pregnant sheep. He doesn't push them hard on the journey. He cares for them. Because they're carrying the future of the flock. He leads them to a place of, of quiet rest where they can give birth, where they can nurse their young. It's a place of refreshment where they can rest a while and be nourished by the shepherd himself. What a promise that was for Israel as they longed for restoration, as they longed for the place of glory and of worship again where God was. But isn't it a spiritual picture as well, a beautiful one, of what Christ does for his sheep this morning? 
He gently leads to a place of quiet rest in himself. The the storm rages around us and within us, and yet Christ is our refuge this morning. He bids us to come and rest in him and his gentle refreshment. He knows exactly what you need. He provides places of quiet rest along the way. It's like traveling along the highway. Rest stop ahead. Well, here we are this morning. Rest. Rest, my beloved, he says. He knows your need. His grace is perfectly matched to fill that need this morning. He knows and he cares. And in his gentleness, in his great strength, he he marshals everything to care for us. The Puritans defined the providence of God as the care of God for his church. The continual creation of all things for the, the care of his church, for the church, for believers. And so we see that the God of heaven and of earth, the king of the universe, marshals everything in his great might and power to care for his sheep. To bring them fully and finally to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Brings us through trials and troubles and challenges of life. He says, come here, come away and rest a while. We have a foretaste this morning of what's coming the final rest stop. Are you longing for that? We ought to be as we sit here looking ahead to heaven where God himself will be in the midst of his people. John says in Revelation 7, 16 and 17, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat for the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. On that day, we'll look back. We'll look back to this moment in time and we'll say, this was the place where God gently refreshed my soul to lead me on, to lead me on that journey from exile to glory and to his presence, to eternal worship. Beloved in the Lord, since the Lord has now fed our souls at this table, let us therefore jointly praise his holy name with thanksgiving and everyone say in his heart thus, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him who has not spared his own son, but delivered him up for us all and given us all things with him. Therefore God commendeth therewith his love towards us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified in his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we are reconciled to God by the death of his son, 
much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Therefore, shall my mouth and heart show forth the praise of the Lord from this time forth forevermore. Amen. Let us give thanks to the Lord. Almighty, merciful God and Father, we render thee most humble and hearty thanks that thou hast of thy infinite mercy given us thine only begotten Son for a mediator and a sacrifice for our sins and to be our meat and drink unto life eternal, and that thou givest us lively faith whereby we are made partakers of such great benefits. Thou hast also been pleased that thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, should institute and ordain his holy supper for the confirmation of the same. Grant, we beseech thee, O faithful God and Father, that through the operation of thy Holy Spirit, the commemoration of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ may tend to the daily increase of our faith and saving fellowship with him. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, in whose name we conclude our prayer, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.